Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Your name is glorified and we want to lift your name higher and higher in our world, in our lives, in our communities. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we don't do that in our own strength, but we do that through your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit of God, we ask you now to come and speak to us from your word. Lord, your word is our food, our life. And Lord, you've been showing us so many things as we've wandered through your, your book to the church in Ephesus all those years ago, but, but it's, it's just come alive in our lives too. And so speak to us again this morning, Spirit of God. Where we need comfort, bring your comfort. Where we need challenge, bring your challenge. Where we need knowledge, bring your knowledge. Lord, whatever you want to say to us, we are open to receive from you. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let me ask you a question today. Who do you think is the most gifted person that you have ever met or ever known? Who's the most gifted person that you've ever known? It's interesting, really, to try and think about it. I looked it up online to see who the, they think the most gifted person is. Do you know who it is? Hmm? No, let, let me show you a picture. This apparently is the most gifted or one of the most gifted people. Do you know who he is? Okay, I'll give you his name. It'll just give it away. Kim Ung Yong. Now it comes flooding back, doesn't it? Apparently, born in 1962, by the age of four, four, he was able to read Japanese, Korean, German, and English. I'm 52, I can't do that. On his fifth birthday, he was able to solve differential and integral calculus problems. And then later on Japanese television, he demonstrated his proficiency in Chinese, Spanish, Vietnamese, Tagalog, whatever that is, German, English, Japanese, and Korean. He's listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as having the highest IQ of anybody on the planet. He was a guest student of physics at university from the age of three until six By the age of seven, NASA had invited him to go and work there. He got his PhD in physics when he was 15. That's if you're going back to college, then just puts it in perspective, doesn't it, really? And so he's carried on. Seriously smart guy. There he is. And he looks happy too. How about this guy? It is the same one. Do we have someone else? Push the space bar. There he is. Do you know who that is? It, it does look a little bit like Boris Johnson. <laughs> you, you'll realize I'm talking about the most gifted people in the world here, which kind of narrows the scope slightly. But uh, this guy is called Gregory Smith. He was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize when he was 12 years old. 
In fact, he's been nominated four times for the Nobel Peace Prize. He founded the International Youth Advocates. He travels all over the world uh, speaking about peace and children's rights. And he's really happy because he just got his driver's license. He's not married. No, he's too young for that. Okay, what about this guy? See if you can guess who this is. Okay, I'll give you half a point if you guess the person on the right. Yeah, you know her. This guy, Akritz Jaswell, he performed an operation on a friend of his when he was seven years of age. Uh, one of the young ladies, one girls in the village, uh, had burnt her hand in a fire, molded all the fingers together in a fist like this, just burnt it. Yeah, he didn't have any medical training at all. We I mean, don't really at seven years of age. But he looked it up, he figured he could handle it, and he actually operated on her hand and managed to restore her fingers and everything else back to normality. But not everything is just about intelligence. There's a guy called Manjit Singh. He lives in Leicester. Do you know what he's famous for? Being in Leicester, he's not the only one in Leicester. He holds 30 world records you know what for? Let me give you a clue. Have a look at the next picture. There he is. Okay, let's have the next picture. He pulled an airplane with his ears. Can you imagine that? That is a 7.4 ton airplane he pulled along at East Midlands Airport just using his ears. He's also pulled uh, double-decker buses with his hair. I tried that once, it fell out. So don't try that at home. Well, there he is, Manjit. If you ever go to Leicester, you now know who to look for. Guy with red ears. And one last one, this guy called Rue Anting. Ever heard of him? Well, he's 56 years old, comes from China. He has a very special talent. Can you see that? He discovered this while he was swimming in the river. He said, sometimes when I would swallow water while I was swimming, I accidentally discovered that water, I could shoot the water out through the tear ducts in my eyes. And he's perfected this art so much because he was made redundant from his job in the local fertilizer factory. And he started to work on this this skill. And he's now got it down so that he can actually write, like in Chinese, through the water tear ducts coming, flying out of his tear ducts on a sheet of paper. If you look at, I think, have I got one more picture? There he is. He's actually writing in Chinese with his tear ducts by sort of, he holds a bag of water up to his nose and then it comes, he snorts it up his nose and don't try that either, all right? But these are kind of gifted individuals. You'll never forget that now, will you? See, see the way I educate you in church. You know, we love watching people with different gifts. You can switch that off now because that's kind of gross really, isn't it? But 
There were others that were a lot worse that I saved you from, trust me. Lengths I go to. But we love, don't we? Who likes watching Britain's Got Talent? See, we, we love watching things like that. Why? Because all of a sudden you find someone with some ridiculous kind of gift that they can do. And, it, and it's kind of interesting to watch them. Sometimes they're, they're well cool, aren't they? And you judge them when they first come on. And then actually some, some of them you think that this is going to be terrible. And they end up being amazingly good. But the truth is, and what Paul says in our, our next part of the letter to the church in Ephesus, is that we all have gifts that God has given to us. Perhaps it's not shooting your tear ducts like that, but we've been given different gifts by God. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and he says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says, we've all been called by grace, called by God, We looked at, and he said, all the barriers, all the things that stop you from having access to God have been destroyed. And he uses the analogy of the temple. And he says, then you're to be witnesses in the heavenly realm. So not just to everybody else, but you are to witness to all those things that are going on in the heavenly realms. How do we do that? And we looked at it last week. We do that through the power of prayer. That God has given us this incredible gift to pray. And we can command things as as, as we did today through prayer. Lord, in, in accordance with your will, we have tremendous power because the Spirit loves to flow through our, our mouthpiece, our voice. I heard yesterday, I was, I was watching a, a video, actually, um, around Ronnie and Karen's, and it just reminded me. And it, it said, in the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the face of the earth, didn't it? But nothing happened when the Spirit just hovered. When did change start to happen? When the Word came. And it's the Spirit and the Word going together. The Spirit can flow through us, but it it comes out of us through the Word. We say the Word. Lord, your Word says this, so I'm going to say this. And when we speak those words, and Paul talks about it there, doesn't he? In uh, Ephesians chapter 3. That we have that tremendous power of God when we have the Spirit. But it's not just the Spirit, but through the Word, through speaking it out, through saying it. Just as God announced it in Genesis. The Spirit hovers, but when the Word is spoken, the Spirit jumps into action. And it's the same with us. But he says, here now, I've given you gifts. Live out a life worthy of the calling you've received. How? He says, by using the gifts that you have. And what are those gifts? Well, he puts them in two separate kind of uh, groups. First, he says, God has given us internal qualities, verses 2 to 10. First one, he says, be completely humble. Now, what is humility? Well, humility is being in a right relationship with God. Humility is not me saying, oh, you know what? You guys are all better than I am. That's not being humble. Right? That's just having really bad and low self-esteem. That's not what humility is. And humility is not me saying I'm better than all you guys. Hey, I've done theological training. God loves me more than he must love you. That's not humility either. That's pride. And humility is actually recognizing the right 
kind of position that we have with God. So what does he say? He says, firstly, you are all loved, tremendously loved, doesn't he? 1 John 3, 16, 1 John 4, 19. That God loves you. He loves you so much that he's shown his love by dying for you. That's how much he loves you. So God cannot love you anymore. So we don't have to say, oh, I'm just nothing, I'm useless, because that's denying the love that God has for you. God doesn't make useless people. God makes you fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. He dances over you. He sings over you. He's just so joyous about you. He loves you. But sometimes we elevate that to to a pride level. And we say, well, I I don't really need God. I can do it all myself. I'm gifted. You know, if I can squirt water out my, my tear ducts, I can do anything. And God says, no, 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 no. And humility is understanding that kind of right balance, if you like that I can do nothing except Christ who gives me the strength, except through the Holy Spirit coming in and through me and giving me the word to speak and those prayers to be answered. But equally, I can accomplish everything through Christ. And it's understanding that right relationship. That's what humility is. And he said, be completely humble. In other words, understand who you are in Jesus Christ. That don't get too, too proud and arrogant, but don't get too down on yourself and push yourself down and think you're useless either. Remember where you are. And out of that, he says, then be completely gentle as well. Now, what's gentleness? Well, gentleness is, I think really it's about how God treats me. You know, God could come on on me and say, David, you know, you messed up again. I messed up loads of times this last week didn't love as I should have done, didn't use all the opportunities God gave me. And he could say, David, that's it. You're done. Finished. You're grounded for the next 150 years. I'm not using you. He doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? He nurtures me. He's gentle with me. It's like when you've got something that's really, really fragile, you know? You hold it in your hand, don't you? And you just think, I better not drop this. I don't want to drop this. If I drop this, it's going to smash everywhere. You hold it, it's fragile, it's gentle. You know, you've got a piece of glass in your hand. What do you do? You don't just start chucking it around, do you? You hold it carefully. You concentrate on it. And you make sure that it's, it's safe in your hands. And then you put it down somewhere. And when you put it, you don't put it too near the edge of anything. You make sure it's, it's safe where it is. And God treats us like that. And he says, treat one another like that. Be gentle with each other. Don't be rough with people because God isn't rough with us. If any, anybody had a right to be rough with us, it would be God, but it isn't. He says, I'm going to nurture you and, and, and encourage you to grow. Be gentle. How many times in the garden, where you, you know, you, you've gone out there and there's some weeds that have grown up and you, you try pulling and they've got intertwined with what you need to, what you want to keep growing? How many times do you go out there and when you're not gentle enough, what happens? You end up snapping it off and then you have to hide it in the compost before your wife finds it, right? You think, oh my goodness, I've broken that. I've broken the flower off. You know, you have to be gentle. You can't just come ripping stuff out. And in the same way, we need to be gentle with one another. 
And, and as we stay in Christ, he gives us, he grows that humility, he grows that gentleness within us. Third thing is this, I saw a little boy, he was standing at the end of an escalator just at the top and he was just standing there like this, getting in everybody's way. I'm going, what is going on? This kid was just standing like this. And he was just watching the escalator come up. And I said, what's the matter with you? I said, are you lost or what's going on? He said, no, I dropped my gum and I'm waiting for it to come back round again so I can pick it up. <laughs> That's patience. Be patient, he says. Wait, it's one of the hardest things, isn't it? Waiting on God's timing. Your disciples struggle with it in Matthew 24. When, when are you going to bring the kingdom, Jesus? When is this going to happen? You know, patience is so hard to learn. Tell you, when, when you take an elderly person out for a walk, what happens? Well, you go arm in arm with them. Now, generally, their speed, generally, is slower than a young person's speed. So what happens? Well, you have two choices, don't you? Either you kind of drag them along, come come on, come on, and you get frustrated because they're not going your speed. Or you have to slow down and relax and just say, you know what, let me go their speed. You know what happens when you slow down? You actually start to enjoy the things around you. You notice things that you don't notice when you start going speedily through life. When God gets us to slow down, we see things, we notice things, we appreciate things in a different way. And patience is that ability, if you like, it's to, it's to be in the timing of God. And sometimes God says, hey, just wait. I have, not everything is in place as it needs to be right now. It's going to happen, but just not on your timing. Because God sees the whole picture, sees everything. And he moves everything around until everything is in place. And then it happens. But it's so hard to wait. We're in a society that wants everything now, isn't it? Oh, I've got to get that. I've got to get, you know. People wait up all night because the next iPhone's coming out. Got to be the first person to get it. It's the same as the other iPhone, really. It's just got a 7 instead of a 6S against it. Does the same thing. You can still phone people, but got to have the latest I've got to do it. And we get impatient. Remember the long queues when Harry Potter books were coming out? You know, they're all waiting outside the stores, opening at midnight. Now they're all rushing in because we can't wait. And some, some people have finished reading it because they speed read it by breakfast. You know, and it was done. Just wait. And in our spiritual lives, he says, wait, be patient. Wait for the timing of God. It's hard, but he teaches us through it. So he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient. And then he says, bearing with one another in love. You know, in Luke 11, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And he says, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us when we mess up, as we forgive others who have messed up against us. Where their mess up affects me. Let me forgive them. And I receive the forgiveness from God as I, as I 
give the forgiveness to others around me. Paul says it here, forgive one another. And the Holy Spirit encourages those gifts of forgiveness to grow in our hearts as we grow closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he goes on to describe what this unity is. He says it again in Romans. He says it right throughout the New Testament. We need to have the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is higher, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What's he saying there? First of all, unity in the spirit. It mirrors the unity in the Godhead. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. You get the idea? There's one, 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 one. And he's saying as we are united in the Spirit, as we are following the the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit, as we allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us, then there is that unity that mirrors the Godhead itself. By very act of us being united together, We are giving witness to the unity of God. There is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But also he says in verse 5 that we are also acknowledging God as our leader. He's the head. He's the leader. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. He is the one that is out there leading us. We don't make the decisions, he makes the decisions. We follow, and as we follow together, we are following one leader. And by being united together, by looking to Christ, following Christ through the Spirit, then we are paying or giving a witness to our unity together, but also the leadership of Jesus Christ over his church and over us. And also, he says, it it opens the channels of the Holy Spirit. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. God is above everything, but he's also in everything, and through everything, his Spirit flows. And so by acknowledging the the role of of the Spirit, by acknowledging the one Spirit that that we follow, by keeping in unity with the Spirit of God, By saying, Holy Spirit of God, you just use me today. Say what you want me to say. Help me to do what you want me to do. We allow, we open ourselves up as channels of that Spirit. So the Spirit can flow through us. Going back just a few verses in our prayers and in our lives, as we will see in the gifts that He's given to us. And as He says in verses 7 to 10, it's the only really adequate response to grace of what Jesus Christ has done. That he came down, he descended to the very depths so that he might 
lead those out who choose to follow him. So we have that unity in the Spirit of God when we follow him. And he grows these within us. The longer, the more we open ourselves up to God, the more we seek to follow him, the more you'll find humility and gentleness and patience and love and forgiveness and unity in the Spirit will grow within you and within each one of us. But then he carries on because he also gives us external gifts as well and opportunities to serve. Look at verse 11. He says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's stop there for a moment. He gives different gifts to different people. He says some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. Now what's an apostle? We're not going to go into great detail today because we should probably end up doing a series on each one. But apostle basically, think about them as five G's. Apostles are the ones who govern. They build something new. The apostles built something new. Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. He built, he established churches. He, he transformed things. He built something new for God, and then he governed it. He led it. He was the leader that established these things. Now, prophets, they are the guides. Today, we call them intercessors because they reveal the heart of God, but they also share our hearts with God. Just when we prayed this morning, it was both us saying, Lord, in these situations, in these people's lives, we're lifting it to you. There's pain, there's brokenness, there's hardship. But also there was a sense of God saying, I'm going to come into these situations and I'm going to bring my healing. I'm going to bring my comfort. I'm going to bring my restitution. And so an intercessor, a prophet, speaks both for the people to God, but also from God to the people. It's a two-way thing. And they guide us. They help us because they, they guide our thoughts and they guide our pathways. So you've got apostles who govern. You've got prophets who guide. The evangelists are the ones who go gather. They have a heart that God gives them for those that are not in the kingdom of God. And they go around and they can't wait to find places and find people that are not already in the kingdom. And they say, these are the people I'm going to go be in. These are the groups that I want to just go and, and share Jesus Christ with. Because they see them as people who, who desperately need Jesus. And so they go out and they, they have gifts in how to share that message of Jesus Christ in relevant ways to the people around them. And their heart is always looking out the doors to the people that are not there. They're the ones you see, you know, walking around in, in Harrow or in London saying, you know, let, let Lord just guide me to people that need, that need to know you. Let me just go and talk to them and speak to them and pray with them and, and encourage them on that journey towards you. Those are the evangelists. The pastors, God, they're the ones, they're the shepherds, they're the ones that guard the flock and enable the growth. 
when you think about the stories of shepherds in the Bible, you've got the one where the lost sheep and the, the shepherd goes out and rescues. You've got the one where they lie down in front of the gate when all the sheep are safely there. The, the good shepherd leads them through the pastures and through the valleys of the shadow of death. The shepherd is there leading and caring and guarding the sheep and enabling and bringing them to the, the good land and the, the, the streams of water and the, and the fields, the lush fields that help the sheep to grow. And then the teachers are the ones that ground people in the faith, in the word of God. They're the ones that edify and teach the church. And you say, you know this resource that we have here? Let me, let me explain it to you. Let me show you how, how God can, can, and they get the food out of the word of God and they, they give it to us and they help us to grow. Now it says here that some are to be apostles. Some are to be prophets. Some are to be evangelists. Some are to be pastors. Some are to be teachers. You know what we've done in the church is we've stuck all of those five together and we've ordained them and called them ministers. We said the minister has to be great at visiting everybody and going and seeing everybody and make sure they're all okay. The, visit, the minister has to be great at teaching the Bible and explaining it to us. The minister has to also spend all their week in prayer and intercession on our behalf and on behalf of other people. The minister has to be the one that goes out and reaches the lost out in the community and the minister has to be the one that chairs all the meetings and governs everything and makes sure it grows. That's not what the Bible says, is it? He says, you know what? This is not the same pair of trousers. Some people he calls to be apostles. And if you're an apostle, you can't be an evangelist and you can't be, a, you know. There are different gifts. And he doesn't give all of these to the same people. He says, this is the body working together. And in churches, we need to establish, we need to find people, we need to, people need to reveal what their heart is and say, you know what, these, this is what God has called me to be. I need to be on the board because God has given me that ministry of apostleship and wisdom to help this church grow in the way he wants it to grow. Or they need to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form a prayer ministry because he's given me the gift of, of being a prophet and I just love spending time on my knees praying, praying and praying for, for the needs. And I take the notice sheet home every week and I just pray through and the prayer cards. I just want to pray and, and listen to God and I'm going to write down what I hear from God and give it back to you as a church to go and, and look through and say, is this really from God? And if it is then we know that God is speaking to us and we need to act upon those words. Or we get people that go, you know what, I, I just need to reach out to the lost. Let me find other people that God has called to be evangelists. And we might not know quite how to do it, or, or what we, but we need to start going out there and being evangelists for Jesus Christ and reaching out and finding ways to reach out today to the people around us. Or pastors, shepherds, you know, my heart is for the people. I just want to nurture and encourage and make sure everybody's okay. And I go around quietly and just, and just put my arm around people and support them when they're, they're struggling and lift them up and encourage them. 
I want to guard them and, and make sure that they're, they're everything they need is there for them. Or teachers, people who just love to spend time studying the Word of God and they have a gift about how to reveal the Word of God to others. I would ask you today, which of those is God laid in you? Which gift has he given to you? Does that ring a bell with any, anything within you? Is that where your heart is going? You know what? That's me. I'm a, I'm a governor. Or I'm a guide. I'm a gatherer. I'm somebody who loves to guard and, and, and protect and encourage and nurture. Or I love to get in God's word and teach it to others. Then we need to hear from you. Come to me and say, this is me. I need an opportunity to grow these gifts and to mature these gifts. Why? Because he says in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. If we do not use the gifts that God has given to us in this place, we can never be built up. You will never be built up to maturity if you just rely on me. I'm telling you now, it's not going to happen. You can never grow into maturity if you just rely on one or two people. We need everybody with all their gifts and abilities to be working, to be molded together, working together, as Paul says here to the church in Ephesus. It's never changed. And then when they are working, then we're going to grow. Then we will see the works of service. And then we will see the body of Christ being built up. Then we will see maturity and fullness in Christ. Then we will see a different kind of church. And other people outside of the church will see a different kind of people. Because we cannot attain that maturity except through one another. And then he says, what does this look like? Look, he says, verse 13. Firstly, unity in the faith. Now that is not unity of faith. Any more than he says unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. It's unity in faith. Which means that we are united in pulling in the same direction. But that our journeys, our faith stories are all different. Christ, it says, apportioned his grace to each of us. Didn't give the same amount. There are different amounts of grace. That's cool. Because we all have different bits and pieces. And together we see the fullness. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle. And when we slot next to each other and link arms together, gradually it comes and the picture comes and the fullness comes. We need that unity in faith so that we're all serving God together. We need unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. That we all have a relationship that we all know Jesus. It's so dangerous when, when people put themselves forward as apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastors or teachers when they don't actually know Jesus. They may know about him, but it's not about about, it's about knowing, being in that intimate relationship. And when we're in that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, then we all pull together with all our differences, with all our uniquenesses. We pull together with because we're all following Christ. 
He is the leader. He is the, the, the conductor of the orchestra. And we all play our different instruments and play our different notes. But it comes together in beautiful music for him. Because we're pulling together in the same direction. It allows for difference. But it's the same aim. You look at any team sport. Everybody has a different role to play. Everybody is doing their own thing differently. But they're pulling, when they pull in the same direction, then you see success and you see victory. And how does it happen? It happens through works of service, through ministry. We learn and we grow by doing. Jesus taught that to his disciples, didn't he? He sent the 12 out and the 72 out, and he said, go and do it. And they went, whoa, 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 we haven't had, we've only had like lesson one. What are you talking about? No, no, just trust me, go do it. And they said, yeah, 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 but we haven't, we haven't even done one semester of college yet. What are you talking about? What happens if they ask me this question and this one? He said, doesn't matter, just go do it. Go out there, tell them the kingdom of God is near, whatever that means, and go and heal everybody that you meet. And if you meet opposition, just kind of turn your feet and wipe the dust off and go the other way. Just go to where people are open to receive. And where they're open, I will flow my spirit through you and you'll do amazing things for Jesus Christ. See, Jesus said it over and over again, not just to the disciples. What did he say to Peter? Jesus was there one night walking on the water. Disciples were afraid. What did he say to Peter? Get out the boat. Come and walk towards me. Are you kidding me? Have you ever tried that? Don't do it. Unless Jesus is there telling you. But what did he do? He said, Peter, come to me. Why? Because you learn and you grow by doing. They could have sat there and they said, hey, hey, Jesus, I'm not coming out of that boat. Are you completely nuts? I'm not doing that. But tell us, how do you do it? How exactly? Explain to me in five easy steps how you walk on water, because it would be kind of useful, you know? You go into London. It's chock-a-block with people. Let me just walk across the Thames to the other side. Kind of handy once in a while, you know? Hey, watch me. I can just walk. I've done the five steps to walking on water. He didn't do that. He said, you want to come out? Come. I'll show you how it's done. But you learn by doing, not by sitting in the boat. He says, get out there and use the gifts that God has given you. And when you start to use those gifts, he will grow you. He will sustain you. He will strengthen those gifts. He will enable them to come stronger and stronger with the Spirit flowing through them. It's just like being in a gym, you know. I used to go to the gym. I used to sit there on the bicycle, put it on the easiest one and read my book. You know, I was there. I wasn't even breaking a sweat. But I was in the gym. I was there with everybody else. You know, I could have even put the lycra on, you know. I could have been there doing all the stuff. But actually, if you're not doing something, if you're just sitting there reading, posing, you're not doing anything. It's only when you start 
putting the resistance up a little bit. And you go, boy, this is, this is hard. This is serious. But gradually the muscles start to grow, don't they? And they get stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's the same in our spiritual lives too. You step out and you do it. And that's where you see the joy of serving Jesus Christ. That's where you get the same reaction as those disciples had. And they came back full of excitement and joy saying, you won't believe what we saw. And Jesus said, you know what? I saw even greater things going on in the spiritual realm than you even saw in the physical realm. He says, step out. Put it into practice. Learn and grow by doing. And then he says, you become steadfast in your faith. You're no longer going to be tossing back and forth. You'll know what you believe because you will know what works and what doesn't work. You will know because you've been in situations where you've got nothing else but to rely on the promises and the word of God. And when you've done that, you see that the promises and the word of God is true. And you will be able to say to people, I know this because I was in this situation. I trusted in what God said and God saw me through. That's, how you, that's why you need to be out there. That's why you need to be putting it into practice. Then you have example after example after example of how God sees you through. How God opens the doors. How God comes to your rescue. How God gives you the comfort. How God gives you the strength. How God leads you through those dark moments where you're not sure and you're wavering. But he just keeps calling out saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And you go through it. You'll also deepen your understanding and your ability. You'll grow, he says in verse 15. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. You grow by doing, by using the gifts of apostleship or prophet or evangelist or pastor or teacher or what other gifts that God has given to you. Then you grow and you deepen your understanding of who Christ is from your unique perspective through the gifts that he's given to you. And then together we become effective for him. Verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, it's as we use the gifts that he's given to, given to us, as we allow the Spirit of God to flow through those gifts, pulling in the direction of Jesus Christ under the leadership of the Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we pray and as we speak, then we will grow and we will see the maturity of the body of Christ. But we will also see the impact and the effectiveness of God when we work together and we grow and we build as he wants us to. So let me ask you today, what's your gift? God has given you gifts. What are they? He's given you internal gifts, but he's also given you external gifts. Some are prophets, some are apostles, some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers. Some have other different gifts and abilities that it lists in Corinthians or in Romans and other parts of the scriptures. 
But as we use them all, what is your gift? How are you using that gift to grow the church? Because as we use those gifts, as we work together under the direction of our Heavenly Father, then we will see a church that impacts the community and the world around us like we've never seen before. Let me close with this example. Once upon a time, there was a famous house builder and painter. He was meticulous. He designed the houses, and then he would build them, and he would then paint them. And when he left them, they were just absolutely pristine. As a painter, he was such an amazing artist that he didn't even need to put overalls on him. He didn't even need to cover his head because he wouldn't even drop one speck of paint anywhere. He could put all the carpets down without having to put paper all around. And he would do ceilings and walls. He was just that good. He had a steady hand. And he was really a perfectionist about the the brushes he used and the quality of the paint. It was unbelievable. He always did it all by himself because no one could really match up to his standards. And then one one day he had this incredible idea. He was standing by one of his houses when he saw a bunch of uh, young people over on the other side of the road just watching him. He goes, that's the guy, that's the guy that paints all these houses. He's amazing. And they were just watching him as they were walking home from school as he was out there carefully with his brush strokes. And he stopped what he was doing and he called over to the kids and he said, hey kids, come over here for a moment. How would you like to do some painting? They said, what do you mean? He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some overalls, I'll go find some. I'll give you each a bucket of paint and a brush and you can paint this new house that I've just built. You want to give it a go? Start with the garage door, you can work your way around. And they went, yeah, for real? And they went, yeah, sure. So that's what he did. So the kids came and they, they put on the overalls and they got all covered up. He opened up the back of his truck and he, he picked out some more brushes and some paint cans, pried open the tins of the, the lids off the paint cans, gave it to the young people and he stood back. What do you think happened? You know young people. Well, they started splashing paint all over the place. Paint was not only on the house, it was also all over the front garden, it was also on the driveway, and even some of it splashed all the way down and onto the pavement. There were, there were paint footprints everywhere as well, as they were sloshing about in this paint. And they got everything done across the bottom of this house up to about six foot high. That's as far as they could reach, splashing all the paint. It was a rainbow of color. It was unbelievable. Pretty soon, as they were doing it, other kids came along and said, hey, can we join in? And so they had a whole army of young people covering this house. Well, the house painter's neighbors came over a little bit later after dinner, and they looked at this house, and they went, what is going on? He said, it looks a bit like a tornado has ripped through your house and just splattered paint absolutely everywhere. What were you thinking? Your reputation is going to be ruined. 
He said, I could have painted this house all by myself. I've always built and painted houses in order to bring joy to others. So based on that goal, this is the most beautiful house I've ever painted. They said, what? He said, just think about it for a moment. This is the most beautiful house I will ever paint. He said, all these young people, they had a hand in painting that house. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to go home and they said, you'll never guess what happened to us. We were with this painter and this painter allowed us to come and paint this house. You've got to come and see it. Because this is the house that I had a hand in painting. And he said, there will be young people after young people going past this house with their fingers pointing to the bit of blue or the bit of pink or the bit of red that they put on there. And not only young people, because they're going to bring their parents along as well, and they'll say, and their parents will bring the rest of the family and say, this is the house where my son or my daughter had a hand in painting with one of the most famous builders and painters of this area. He said, this is the home of a master painter and builder, but it will also be their house too. And in the same way, the Spirit of God says, you know what, I've given you gifts. Go paint, go use those gifts to paint something beautiful for him. He is the master painter. But he pours out his Spirit on all of us and he says, use what I've given you. Allow me to flow through it. Join hands, grab a paintbrush, come and stand there. You might have blue, you might have pink, you might have white, you might have yellow. You can have whatever color that I have given to you. But use those gifts, use that paint. And this will become the most beautiful house in the world. That is what Christ asks of you and of me. Know your gift and use it so the body of Christ may be built up and we may be able to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you give different gifts and abilities to each one of us. Not all of us are apostles or preachers or pastors or teachers or evangelists or prophets Not all of us have the same gift, and I thank you for that. We are all different. Show us the gifting that you have given us. And Lord, there's no age limit on the gift either. Whether you're five years old or you're 105, that gift still needs to be used for the fullness of Christ, for the growing of his church for the reaping of the harvest that he's given, for the witness in the heavenly realms. Show us the gift. Show us how to use those gifts and to open them up so that your spirit may flow through in word and in effectiveness for your glory. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.